Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and this is part two of basically how we read a cardiac CT. And I mentioned previously in the last part of the first part, we spoke about looking at axial CT. I spoke about looking at some of the coronals, and I spoke a little bit about slab imaging. Now let's talk about volume rendering. We, we spoke about volume rendering many times. In the hard, it gives an excellent global visualization. So you want to get a good look in congenital heart disease. You want to get a good look in routine, normal cases, where the coronaries are, where they're arising. A general gestalt, it's really an ideal way of doing things. Remember, volume rendering has no issues in terms of bias based on projection. You don't want to be reading the coronaries in terms of stenosis or volume rendering. Though I will tell you, uh, my experience is that if you get good at it, you're surely going to be able to look at 50% stenosis or greater or under 50%. But I think the general consensus is you don't use volume rendering, and I'll agree with that for looking at stenosis. Here's just simple examples, nice visualization of the LAD with um, myocardial bridging, with a prominent first diagonal. You see the circumflex very nicely. Again, very nice global visualization. You see the sinus of Valsalva nicely. And of course, you take that and you do it interactively. And in this case, we very nicely are looking at the patient's left main coronary artery. We're looking at the LAD. We're looking at the circumflex. We're looking at the ramus intermedius. We're doing in grayscale on this image and on this image. And again, this ability to be able to go in and out of plane, choose the best plane for optimally visualizing the vessel is indeed an ideal way to look at things. Just tremendous interactivity and tremendous power at your fingertips. And so, for example, if you're looking at this next case, and remember we speak about the first step is looking at where the coronaries are coming from, and you look at this case, ask you where the right coronary is coming from, where the circumflex is coming from, where the LED is coming from, well, when you look from above, you get a beautiful visualization top-down. You do this interactively, as I'll show you in a moment. But you can see from even these static images, there's the circumflex coming off the RCA going between the ascending aorta and left atrium, a critical uh, anomaly. And there it is again, another projection, and here it is with MIP. So very nice visualizations. And of course, doing it interactively gives you all of the advantages of being able to slide in and out of plane. It allows you to get the best visualization. It allows you to really optimally see the uh, abnormality. Now, there are many different variations in terms of the coronary arteries, and I'm not going to go through those. Just show you a couple other ones. Here's a nice case of the uh, CERC and LAD both arising separately off the left cusp. There's calcification, eccentric plaque in the patient's circumflex, which you can see very nicely around the circles. You can look at this next example where the patient's uh, right uh, coronary artery is coming up the left cusp, going between the pulmonary outflow tract and the ascending aorta. Very nice visualization. Again, volume rendering, good shadowing, giving you a really crisp look at the vessel, although it's small, and the area it's compressed. And it's not just native coronaries. In patients where I'm looking at bypass, where the patients are not certain how many bypasses they've had, good example here of showing you two bypasses, one to the left circulation, one to the right. You can see the button on the ascending aorta. You can very nicely visualize, understand where the stents are, and then you could look at each of the graphs, segment them out, use a process, again, sort of a curved planar reconstruction, and be able to look at that very nicely. And again, it's a range of applications, and I'll just show you one patient who presented with SVC occlusion or SVC symptoms of occlusion. What we just see here is a pseudoaneurysm in the aortic root 
pushing on the SVC. And when you look at the next set of images, you can hear those arrows flying in. Look at the next set of images. You can see the extensive collaterals over the left chest wall. You can see it in color as well. But again, a very nice visualization where volume rendering works well. Or in this case, patient chest pain, prior cardiac surgery. Yes, you look at the axial images, and yes, you should see that abnormal collection, which is the pseudoaneurysm and the blood around the aortic root. But look how much easier it is to see on that image. Now you see the pseudoaneurysm. You see the suture line. You see the section above the suture line. You see exactly where the right coronaries are. Again, that 3D visualization takes thousands of images and really puts it all together for you to understand it. And again, just beautifully shown that suture line, that the section, what more can you ask for? Well, what you can ask for, I guess, more is to be able to uh, look at this in 4D, and you can see on this set of images, we very nicely show you the 4D display as well. So that's a, just a very comprehensive evaluation, a single patient getting all the information, and that information is critical because this patient went to surgery for repair of the pseudoaneurysm. And again, this volume rendering, this global visualization. Another example, patient with a history of Marfan's prior repair of the ascending aorta. You very nicely see the repair. You see the sites of anastomoses. When you look a bit more carefully, you recognize that now this graft is pushing downward. The patient's sinus of Valsalva are dilating. This patient needed surgery with a replaced aortic root and valve. Nice example. Another case, patient with dissection who had prior uh, bypass surgery. They need to repair the aorta. Well, you want to be able to look, determine whether you can do a classic metostenotomy. There's the sternum. There are the wires. You can barely see the uh, part of one of the bypass grafts to the right of midline. But when you take away the sternum, now you see both of the grafts. And that left graft is sitting right behind the sternum. And you'd have to worry about that if you're doing a metostenotomy. So now you know that you're going to do an off-axis sternotomy. You're not going to come straight down the middle. Again, very nicely seen in this global perspective. Now, I don't want to make the point that volume rendering is always right. Again, anytime you interact with data, you can make a mistake. And here's just a very nice example of a pseudo-lesion. Image on your left shows what looks like an occlusion, and it's just the wrong plane or perspective chosen. A mistake you shouldn't make, and of course, you're never only going to look at the 3D images, you're going to look at the source images, but again, just something to be aware of. Now, volume rendering also plays a role in 4D imaging. If you do 4D imaging, everything you're doing is volume rendering. And we've spoken about this before. And just a few examples, the aortic valve closed and the aortic valve open in this next case. Then you can see in this same case, now we can see it in 4D. You can see the aortic valve opening and you can see the aortic valve closing. Again, volume rendering is ideal. We'll change the transparency. We'll invert uh, the uh, trapezoids. Again, very nice to show uh, the motion of the valve. And we're seeing a lot more requests for this for patients to look at the aortic valve, look at the aortic valve prior to replacement surgery. At the same time, we can look at the patient's coronary arteries. So that's something we are seeing a reasonable amount of these days, something I think that you're going to see in your practice as well. You can see, for example, in this case that the aortic valve leaflets are thickened. You can see in this case the patient has bicuspid valves. You can see in this patient with motion, you can see the prosthetic valve. The prosthetic valve is opening. The prosthetic valve is closing. We can look at that from many different perspectives. 
another example. So again, volume rendering is critical if you're going to do these sorts of visualizations. Okay, so that's just a very, very good point in thinking about where you need to use different rendering techniques in this comprehensive examination of the heart. Well, what else can we speak about? The last thing I'll speak about is maximum intensity projection. And the thing about MIP is, again, we talk about being a projection technique, the fact you have to do editing, but it works very nice, particularly in the absence of calcification. You can see very nice long segments of the coronary arteries, particularly when you use a sliding MIP in the two to four millimeter range. In the presence of calcification, one needs to be careful. In this case, you see the calcification eccentrically placed in the LAD. If I just change the, the positioning a bit, it looks like it's occluding the vessel. Again, the projection makes it look worse. Look at those side by side. And if I target down on them. So you need to be very careful when you're using MIP, particularly sliding MIP. You can really make some tremendous mistakes just because um, of the technique itself and the projection in the face of calcium. But when you don't have calcium, you can see on these renderings just beautiful example of the patient's right coronary, beautiful example of the individual chambers are nicely shown. You can see uh, in this example as we do a top-down look at the individual chambers, at the LAD first and then the right coronary. Again, this visualization, this sliding MIPS works very nicely. And in this third example, the same thing. Here's the RCA, LAD. Again, in the absence of calcification, MIP works very well. Now, you want to be careful, however, because with MIP, uh, non-calcified plaque, you can overlook. Remember, it's low density. You won't see it. So you would never use sliding MIPs only, and you can make a terrible error. You can leave out the presence of non-calcified plaque. So indeed, be very careful. A couple other points I made the other day in terms of MIP versus volume rendering. Be careful. In this case, you can see the patient's right coronary off the left cusp on the VRT image. Because it's projected downward on the MIP, you would have said it was from the non-coronary cusp. So indeed, you need to be very, very careful in that regard. I showed you this example previously where you can see a dissection of a descending thoracic aorta. begins just past the left subclavian um, rather than in the mid-descending thoracic aorta, which you would have called from the MIP image. So indeed, you have to be very careful. Know the limitations. Again, what I'm saying is use multiple techniques. If you use multiple techniques, it's never going to be an issue. And finally, the issue with calcification. Calcification is problematic for all rendering techniques, but especially for MIP, as I showed you the example before, how it can look like occlusion. Perhaps uh, in the future, dual source imaging will get around some of these problems. Uh, in the short term, curved planar reconstruction is ideal. Volume rendering can be helpful. So I've gone through a number of different things. I've showed you sort of the techniques of how we do things. You've got to look at the axial images and go from there. Typically, I'll go to the volume rendering, get my logistics, get my understanding. I'll then go into the interactive MPR with sliding MIPS, take a really good look at that. Then I'll go into curved planar reconstruction, and that'll be my last thing. And in select cases, I'll do 4D imaging. Again, figure out what's your best workflow method. Do it the same way every time. Yes, in select cases, congenital heart disease, you might vary things. But otherwise, do it exactly the same way every time. And if you do it that way, I think you're going to have tremendous success. And with that, I wish you a great day.